Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the brand new game day podcast. Looking back on a brilliant Premier League weekend. King Arthur slays the league leaders as the Happy Hammers flex their top four muscles. A silver lining takes champions Manchester City top and Fred the Red gives ravishing Ralph victory in his first game as Old Trafford boss. Plus Newcastle win at last, Bamford's back with a bang for Leeds and Liverpool leave it late at the Molyneux. All that and more on the podcast that's as deadly as Divakarigi in stoppage time. It's the game day post-match review from Talksport. This is game day. And a very warm welcome to Messrs Trevor Sinclair and Darren Lewis. I'm a bit out of sync actually, Darren. I usually see you on a Thursday. But here we are recording on a Sunday evening, looking dashing as ever, and no doubt crowing from Liverpool's last gas victory over Wolverhampton Wanderers. I, I certainly am. I want to be gracious in victory, but I really can't because these <laughs> are my margins, and I've got to take everything I can. And I don't want to what might be coming up from Trevor's fantastic former club. So I, I've got to go with whatever I can. And Liverpool, absolutely fantastic. It doesn't have to be pretty, as we all know. It just has to be resulting in the three points. And on the subject of Trevor's former clubs, I guess it's been a mixed weekend in the Sinclair household because West Ham picked up a magnificent win. Manchester City superb again. Saw you tweeting about Celtic on Sunday as they picked up three points. But defeats for Blackpool and Queens Park Rangers—not quite the perfect weekend for you, Trevor. Yeah. Good evening, Crocky. Good evening, Lewis. Yeah, I was I was very disappointed with Blackpool. Um, it was a horrendous weekend weather-wise up the northwest and uh, Luton came did a job I think um, it was certainly a leveler um, for the for the performance that Blackpool put out there and, and fair play to Luton you got the win and then Queen's Park Rangers I watched some of that game uh, this afternoon and I thought Stoke deserved the win uh, the goalkeeper played well and um, yeah I thought Stoke definitely deserved the three points so yeah a little bit of um, mixed fortune for my teams but for, certainly for the, the Premier League teams did very very well. It is essential listening for you on every Premier League Saturday. Back-to-back exclusive commentaries on game day across the TalkSport network. And it all starts all over again right here. These are nervy moments for West Ham. It's Mount again with the delivery high up towards Thiago Silva. And it's bounced in. And Chelsea have the lead. 
Thiago Silva with the downward header. Oh, oh. Jorginho, a risky back pass. Mendy's in trouble here. He's under pressure from Bowen. Oh, and he's brought Bowen down. And the referee says penalty. Lanzini steps up right footed and smashes it beyond Mendy. And West Ham United are level. Mason Mount on the volley. What a goal for Chelsea. It's an absolute sensation. Mason Mount on his 100th Chelsea start. Socek floats the ball high down the middle towards Antonio. It's headed away, comes back to Sofal on the edge of the penalty area. Now Bowen with the left-footed effort into the corner. And West Ham a level out of almost nothing. But what a strike it was from Jared Bowen. Masuaku down the left wing, thought about the cross. Socek is among those in the middle. It's delivered high and it's gone in. Would you believe it? It's been there to West Ham have surely won it late on here. Now he blows the final whistle and West Ham are on to something special this season. They have beaten Chelsea here by three goals to two and David Moyes is pumping his fist. He's punching the air down below us. A remarkable result here at London Stadium. West Ham three, Chelsea two, only one place to start, really. Fantastic uh, result once again for West Ham at home. Uh, the same scoreline by which they beat Liverpool earlier in the season. We'll start with Chelsea, though, uh, Darren Lewis. Thomas Tuchel, very critical uh, of the Blues in midweek. They weren't great last weekend against Manchester United either. So I guess that the big question from a Chelsea perspective, was this result coming? Yeah, it was coming. Tuchel could see it coming because he said so, as you were saying, after the Watford game on Wednesday night. I listened to the fallout from that on TalkSport and I just got the sense that he could see maybe a one or two of his players and Trevor can speak to this far better than I can, but sometimes you just know, don't you, within a squad, if you're a teammate, if you're the manager, obviously, you know your players. And he could see that there was just a sign of his side creaking. Listen, they've been fabulously consistent so far this season. Best defensive record in the top five European leagues. They've been winning games without Romelu Lukaku, dipping into their squad, mixing and matching. And we praised them when they did it all without their £100 million striker, without Pulisic and Mount and Kovacic. So I don't necessarily believe we can we can criticise them as such and because everyone has a blip, an off day. It is going to be fascinating to see how they respond respond to this setback against a very good West Ham side. This wasn't slipping up against a Southampton or a Burnley or a, this was against a side that are serious players in this season's race for the top four. Trevor Dara mentioned Romelu Lukaku there and I think Thomas Tuchel afterwards was saying it's going to take him a while to get back up to full match sharpness. How much did they miss Ben Chilwell at the weekend and how much are they going to miss him going forward? Well, I think they missed him uh, immensely. Um, not that they haven't got strength in that area um, because I actually believe Al- Alonso does a really good job in a 3-4-3. Three, three. Uh, probably not great enough as a defender um, to be a fullback, but certainly got an eye for goal and he's creative in the final third going forward on that left-hand side. So I think as a wing-back, you're not missing that much. Obviously, Chilwell's hat-trick and these performances have been superb once he got back in the side. Um, so I do believe they've missed him, but listen, I, f- I think it's very undeniable that they're missing Kante. He's probably got about six lungs. He covers every blade of gla- grass. And he does a lot of work that still goes um, unseen by a lot of fans. And uh, he's just one of them players. He's so selfless. 
he works his socks off, he breaks things up and he has got good quality going forward as well and I feel if you're going to miss a player uh, in your side, especially right in the middle of the pitch, down the spine, the engine, I think he's the one and you know, as much as I like to see Loftus-Cheek getting opportunities and Jorginho, obviously he's a, he's a top, top player. I just feel they've, they've, they've missed that real quality playing against the top teams and listen, let's not kid ourselves, West Ham are a top team now. We saw the sublime and the ridiculous, really, in this game. A fantastic goal from Mason Mount. Deserves to be on the winning team for that strike. And then the actual winning goal from Arthur Masuaku, which is clearly a cross. Not a great moment for uh, Mendy. Didn't have a great afternoon all round, really, with the concession of the penalty as well. But how much credit, Darren, do we give David Moyes for the tactical switch that he made, matching up Chelsea with that back three? I felt for a long time that David Moyes doesn't get the credit he deserved. And I think it's because he lost it after the disaster at Manchester United. But what he has done at West Ham, not just this season, as we all know, last season was fabulous. And, and we're, we're going to praise the tactical observations, if you like, that he made to his players. But it's his scouting, it's the recruitment, it's the mentality, it's the work ethic, that bar that he set so high for his players to reach. It's a combination of all those things that have made this not the surprise that some people thought it possibly could be because these players have been turning in performances of this consistency all the way through his reign. And if you look at this season on its own, they've beaten the two Manchester clubs in the Carabao Cup, they've beaten Liverpool in the Premier League, and now they've beaten the champions of Europe in the Premier League. That's no fluke. You, you can maybe fluke one or two of those results, but you can't do it four times. They're into the quarterfinals of the Carabao Cup. They're top of a, a Europa League group that I thought maybe they might struggle in, but they got good results out in Zagreb, for example, against Dinamo. And I think this is a seriously good West Ham squad. If they're clever in the January window, they bring in another striker to take the pressure off Antonio. They bring in another central defender, maybe to give themselves a bit of depth. Maybe beat Newcastle to Lingard. Uh, I think he can't possibly make the same mistake of turning his nose up at West Ham again. They really could stay the distance in the race for the top four. Chelsea started the day on top. Liverpool are now on top. Manchester City can go to the top. Manchester City have possession and Bernardo Silva has picked out Foden. Corner of the penalty area. Early cross. Sterling must score and does score. He just torments Watford. Foden will take the corner, left-footed, curled into, the, and Grealish has got a free header and he's headed it straight at the goalkeeper. City manoeuvring the ball perfectly again and Gundogan into Foden and Grealish is in there and he's stopped by Backman and somehow Sterling following up, failed to convert. Manchester City have not dropped points from a winning position since May. Sterling on to Gundogan, and now Bernardo Silva gets outside the box. Ilkay Gundogan, good save by Batman. Bernardo Silva is back on the ball, and he scored 2-0. Now Walker, edge of the penalty area. Bernardo Silva taking over onto his left foot. Oh, what a goal that is by Bernardo Silva. Curled into the top corner. I have got far too much respect for the rivalry between Liverpool and Manchester City at the moment to adjudicate between Bernardo Silva and Mohamed Salah, but they're probably the two best players in the Premier League right now. Richard Hernandez inside the penalty area, drives in, score! Oh no! Hit the inside of the post, now it's in! He's scored at the second of ten. Kucha Hernandez makes it. Watford one, Manchester City three. Comfortable victory in the end 
Uh, 3-1 winners, Manchester City away from home at Vicarage Road. Uh, Trevor Pep Guardiola said afterwards, it was City's best performance of this season. Do you agree? I actually feel it, it didn't matter who they were playing against on Saturday. I thought they were unbelievable. The, the, the retention of the ball, the rotation of the players, which we, we see week in, week out, but it just seemed to click really well. And I think the catalyst for me, possibly one of the best players in the Premier League at the moment is Bernardo Silva. His performance, um, you know, his use of the ball, his movement off the ball, his, his clinicalness in, in the final third, which Manchester City at times have been, you know, accused of not being clinical enough. Um, and just getting Grealish and Foden back into the side, you know, Foden's cross, you know, do you want jam on top of that for, for, for the goal for Raheem? And then the, the quality of just keeping things alive for the second goal by Bernardo Silva. And then the, the third goal was sublime. I just thought he was outstanding. He, he was the best player on the pitch by a mile. And, you know, to think that we potentially nearly let him go in the summer, it's quite scary, but he looks like he's enjoying it. The team look like they're really enjoying each other's company on the pitch. And they look very, very strong. I mean, they, they it's almost like it, it's clicked and this is the time now that they're going to go on a run. And uh, yeah, watch out the Premier League because if you're not picking up three points week in, week out, I think they'll form a gap. Can I just can I just say, this is a little bit like when I, um, listen, I'm of the belief that this is the best West Ham side we've ever seen, right? In the Premier League, right? And Trevor's played in a few very, very good West Ham sides. So he probably can knock me down on that. <laughs> well, you just said, Trevor, that this is the best West uh, Man City, well, Pep says it's the best Man City performance this season. And I, 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 there have been so many. I really, really like the performance against PSG. I thought that was outstanding, not because of the technical ability, but because of the graft mm. to show up the, the, the outstanding players on the PSG side to embarrass them in many ways. You know, you had so many good players that weren't in that particular side. And yet they rolled their sleeves up and they fought for it and they should have scored two or three more goals. So in a way, when Pep says this was the best performance of the season against Watford, there is so much to choose from because you were without so many of your best players for that game as well. Yeah, that'll be a concern as well, I feel, for the rest of the Premier League teams, especially the ones vying for that top spot. You know, the fact that Manchester City didn't have Kevin De Bruyne, they didn't have Foden and they didn't have Grealish and still turned over PSG with, you know, Galactical players in their side and came from a 1-0 goal against... So, yeah, no, I agree with you, Darren. I think there's been a lot of good performances. The Chelsea performance, that win was superb. Manchester United at Old Trafford, that was, um, I mean, that was chalk and cheese when you look at the quality of the players and the performance from both sides. And again, Liverpool, I thought they were really good at Liverpool and probably played players out of position. But, yeah, it's a concern. They're starting to hit top form and, yeah, top, top of the league as well to boot. Look at the smile on his face. It's a, <laughs> it's a magnificent seven wins on the spin for City in all competitions. Uh, Raheem Sterling, one goal shy now of 100 in the Premier League. But once again, as we mentioned there, Bernardo Silva, very much the star of the show. Uh, very quickly on Watford, only three points above the relegation places. That January transfer window is fast upon us. What do they need to do, Darren, in that window to ensure they don't make an immediate return to the Championship? They need to maybe get one more defender in and some protection for that defence. They can score goals. We know that Josh King, Emmanuel Dennis, looks a fantastic buy. 
but they do need some leadership in that defence because they're all over the place. You saw at left back, uh, listen, Trev played on, on the wing, so Trev will know all about how to find space in behind a left back who deserts his post. And Danny Rose did that on a few occasions against City, uh, which was footballing suicide in many respects, I think. Mm-hmm. They need somebody who's going to add some leadership to that bat line. If they can get that, they've got a chance because it's a very, very tight fight against uh, relegation this season. Yeah, there certainly is. We're going to focus on the relegation battle in the last part of the podcast. But let's talk about the last of the title contenders. It finished Wolves nil, Liverpool won at Molyneux. Not Liverpool's most convincing performance of the season, but they found a way to get the job done eventually Divock Origi not for the first time in his Anfield career coming up with a really important goal um, first of all Trevor what does that tell us about the character of Liverpool because often championships are decided not on big victories but on the one nil wins when you have to find a way to grind it out yeah I thought Liverpool were, were very good in general they created a lot of good opportunities but when they entered that final third and it's, it happened a lot last season. And I think it's easy to understand why it happened last season because they were conceding goals. So sometimes that confidence, that air of confidence from the forwards diminishes. But this season, they've not got any excuse because they're keeping a lot of clean sheets. So I was surprised they were a little bit misfiring. Um, but they were all over the pitch. They were good. Um, it was just in that final third. They weren't getting the look. I thought um, Wolves defended really well. Uh, Connor Cody, I thought, was excellent. The goalkeeper made some really good saves. And it looked like it could have been one of them games where they were just going to be frustrated and it wasn't their day. Um, but they found a way. And it really is a, a great sign of a, of a top team that has the desire um, to want to stay up there and, and compete for that uh, Premier League title. And I've got to say, Arig is a special character because... I couldn't do what he's done. You know, he hardly plays. He keeps himself tip-top condition. He seems to always have a smile on his face. Um, he must have so much respect from the other players, especially the forwards who keep him out of that team. The fact that he just stays fit and stays ready. And it was a really technical uh, quality goal that he scored on the swivel. Knew exactly what he was doing before the ball came in. Dropped his left shoulder, looking like he was going to chop it with his right foot. Let it come across. Took it on the back foot. And it's a really tidy finish. And you can see the celebrations of one, his teammates, to show how, how popular he is amongst them. But also the fans, because they, they, you know he scored some big goals for Liverpool. I was intrigued, Darren, by Jurgen Klopp's quote after the game, in which he said, I hope Divock Origi's next manager plays him more than I do. I mean, talk about being <laughs> down with faint praise. <laughs> He's made 34 appearances, 34 starts in seven seasons. I mean, I I, I can't decide whether or not he's a, clearly he's a team player, very obviously. But is there a lack of ambition there as well? Hmm. I mean, he has won big prizes. So it's, it's almost ridiculous to use that phrase, but... At some point in your footballing career, and again, I defer to, to Trevor on this, you know, you must want to start, yeah. no matter how much of a selfless team player you are, Trevor. Yeah, we've seen it happen. And it, it, typically it's a, a number two goalie or a number three goalkeeper. They're happy just to play a part in that keeper's union, train well, turn up for games, sit on the bench, be that supporting role. As a centre-forward, it's very untypical because centre-forwards are usually selfish buggers. Um, so he is, listen, he's a special, obviously a special personality. Um, I'm like you though, Darren. I'd like to see him want to play and have that, a little bit more ambition. I'm sure there'd be a few decent clubs in the Premier League that I'd, I'd want his signature if he was available. Um, but not only that, you know, you, 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 
it might, in a way, it might elongate his career because he's not playing a lot of football. He's not putting himself through, you know, the rings every week. And he might have a bit more freshness as he gets into his later years. He's, what is he, 26? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, maybe this will just give him a little bit more longevity and he'll start to play more football, possibly, probably not at Liverpool unless they get serious injuries. But if he does make that move at some stage, I'd like to see him play and hopefully he will have a long purple patch in his career. I believe he changed agents in the summer and is now part of the Will Salthouse stable. And um, I'm sure Darren will know that Will Salthouse has a relationship with the owners at West Ham. So maybe that could be a possible mm. link come January. Um, I felt a bit sorry in this game for Connor Cody because he put his body literally on the line <laughs> to deny Diego Jota a goal on his return to Molyneux. Um, I, be, I was told last week that Cody is on Newcastle's list of possible recruits when the transfer window reopens. I'm not sure he'd be desperate to leave Wolverhampton Wanderers, but can you understand, Darren Lewis, why he would be on Newcastle's shortlist just because of the type of character he is? Really important, actually, in that England dressing room, even though he doesn't play very often. A couple of weeks ago, I would have said that they wouldn't get somebody like O'Connor Cody because their situation looked so desperate. They were seven points from safety. And it just looked as though it was all over. Statistically, no one has ever done what they're going to try to do, which is go 14 games, is it, Alex? We, we, we had a debate about this. 14, yeah, 14 games without games. victory. Yeah. And then let's try to stay up. But, you know, I hear all of these people saying, oh, Newcastle are going to go big in the window. They're going to spend 40, 50, 60 million pounds, whatever. Newcastle don't need marquee signings. They need the kind of player that Connor Cody is, a team player, a leader, somebody who's going to organise and somebody who cares. Because, it's, you know, we've seen with QPR, Everton, you know, lots of players are very, very quick to take the money. But do they care when the club's up against it? Are they willing to put in a shift? And as you started off by saying, Connor Cody was playing on one leg, but he helped uh, Wall, he put his body on the line for the cause. That's the kind of player that you want with Newcastle in the position they are in now. Now, it's a lot tighter down there. So I, I think it will be an easier sell now than it would have been a couple of weeks ago. I, I think if they were to go out there and see if they could get him and, and if they were to land him, they'd have a real chance of staying up. Manchester United won Crystal Palace nil. A narrow victory then for Ralph Rangnick in his first game in charge at Old Trafford. I was interested afterwards, the German came out and said that Manchester United performed better than he expected. I thought they were excellent in the first half, showed a lot of intensity, uh, much more controlled. And that was one of the key words that came out of Ralph's first press conference on Friday. Went back to type a bit in the second half, I thought, let Palace back into the game. And ultimately, uh, Fred, the unlikely goal hero. Uh, we'll come to you first, Darren Lewis. What did you see in Ralph's first game in charge that maybe we haven't seen under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Michael Carrick? I saw desire. I, I saw organisation. I saw more of a plan in the first 45 minutes than I'd seen for quite some time. And I think a lot of Man United fans watching that will be heartened by an optimistic about the future under Rangnick. The most significant thing for me wasn't necessarily the win. It was a clean sheet because there had been so many games that they had failed to score. It was the second longest run in their history, 15 games in a row. They needed to stop that particular rot. So for me, the clean sheet was the most important aspect of the performance and it gave them something very serious to build on. 
Yeah, I think Darren's right there. First home clean sheet in 16 games in all competitions. And actually, the two fullbacks played a big part in that. Uh, Alex Tellez, who's in for Luke Shaw, who seems to be taking an age to recover from this concussion problem that he's had. And also Diogo Dallo. Now, I think that was more significant because Aaron Wambasaka was fit and available only on the bench. Not only did Dallo offer a threat going forward, as did Tellez on the other side, but he kept Wilfred Zaha, the Palace captain, very quiet. Are we thinking now, Trevor, this is a, an opportunity for Dallo to really make that right-back spot his own because he would seem possibly to have more of the attributes that Ralph Rangnick would want from his fullbacks. I think more of the attributes that any probably top half of the table team would want as a right-back. You need the game as it's evolved. Your fullbacks are so important. And one, yeah, you, you want to defend one-on-one situations. You Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. I want to be part of that unit, uh, move across the pitch laterally, but going forward, you have to offer, especially when you play in a system where, you, you know, a 4-2-3-1, you need that overlap to create two against one in the wide areas. And I think he's got the engine to do that. He's got much better quality, you know, being quite frank uh, than Juan Basaka has in that final third. And uh, yeah, I wasn't surprised to see him play and, and also play well. Um, you know, I, I thought the challenge that he had um, was was tough against Zaha, uh, but I thought he stuck to task really well. He communicated, he didn't dive in, he, he took responsibility. And I think that's what Ralph expects from his players. You know, there's going to be a hunger, there's got to be an appetite to affect the game. Uh, there's got to be an appetite to win individual battles, but certainly you've got to be creative in your, if you're in them fullback positions. And, you know, I thought it was quite telling that the Crystal Palace only had two shots on target. You know, you talked about control earlier. That's controlling the opposition and controlling how many opportunities potentially come against you. So, yeah, he, I'm, I'm not surprised he was um, more impressed than he thought he would be with his first game. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I don't think it's the swashbuckling Manchester United DNA, but maybe that'll come later to start with. They want to stop leaking goals and winning three points in games. And that's a great start for Ralph. One of the players I was disappointed with, Darren, not for the first time this season, it has to be said, and I'm loath to criticise him because he's done so much good work off the pitch. But Marcus Rashford, he got caught offside too many occasions not to frustrate Ranić and the Manchester United fans. 
And he just doesn't look to me at the moment. I watched his body language on Thursday against Arsenal as well. Like a player who's particularly enjoying his football. He's not playing with a smile on his face and that uh, fearlessness of youth that we maybe saw when he first came into the Manchester United team. How does Rangnick get him back to his best? One of the biggest features of uh, Rangnick's skill set is his man management. There are lots of players who speak so highly of his ability to improve them as players, as individuals, as well as having a good tactical structure. So what I think his priority list is, has been, stroke is, is to focus on the defence first, then focus on the attack, and then focus on the individuals who might well be just treading water a little bit. And Rashford is indeed one of those players. He just looks as though he's a player. We all know his ability, and you never lose that ability, that class. I'm not quite as keen as some to kind of write him off. He will never lose that quality that he has had for some time. But I think at the moment, Man United for a long time haven't been one thing or another. And I think he needs some focus. I think Rangnick will provide that for him. He'll put an arm around his shoulder. He'll remind him of what he can do. And he will give him a specific focus because for a long time, the players were sent out to save Oli's job. And then after that, they were just sent out to, to mine the store, if you like, and keep the seat warm uh, for Rangnick's coming. They didn't really know what they were doing. Now Rangnick's come. He will give specific players jobs and we will see a lot more organisation throughout the entire side. And I think we'll see the best of Rashford, Sancho, Greenwood and all of those attacks. People say, oh, they've not got to get a striker in the window. No, they don't. They've got good strikers there, good goal getters. And I think all they need are one nils, clean sheets. They can be back in that race for the top four. Yeah, I think the, the important thing that you mentioned there, which I would definitely agree with, Darren, is reminders. All elite players forget things. I remember doing it myself. I played uh, for Queen's Park Rangers and I was struggling to get the ball and turn and get out my full back. And I remember Jerry pulling me to the side and said, do you, know, do you know why it is that you, you're struggling? It's, there's no reverse movement. And it's tiny little things which you can figure. And I, I think I played against um, a, a Russian team for England, B team, quite soon after that. And I absolutely destroyed the fullback because I was running in behind, checking to feet, coming to feet, going over the top. And all of a sudden, my game got back to where, where, I, wanted, where I wanted it to be. So I think what, what you're saying there, Ralph will speak to Rashford and he'll analyse his game and they'll talk about certain things and fundamentals that he's forgotten that he needs to start doing again to bring his game back on point. So a winning start for the new man in the dugout at Old Trafford. Three defeats in a row now for Crystal Palace for the first time since Patrick Vieira took charge. They're still six points above the relegation places, but we'll need to halt that slide fairly quickly. Uh, no such problems for Steven Gerrard. Aston Villa 2 Leicester won uh, three wins and a pretty gallant defeat against Manchester City from Gerrard's four games in charge. I want to focus, uh, Darren, on the, the big officiating decisions in this game. Aston Villa uh, thought they'd scored a legitimate goal just towards the end of the first half. It was cancelled out by VAR because they deemed that Kasper Schmeichel had control of the ball. Now, to be a goalkeeper and have control of the ball, you don't have to have both hands on the ball, contrary to popular belief. If you've got one hand on top of the ball and the ball is touching a surface, i.e. the grass, and the player kicks it away, then it can still be deemed a foul. On that basis, did the referee and VAR get that call right? I'm not sure they did. I'm not sure they did. I mean, listen, we've seen VAR make a number of dodgy decisions this week. I was at the West Ham game in midweek and West Ham had a goal chalked off for offside. 
I've looked at every frame. I cannot see anything that was clear or obvious about that decision. Uh, and I think what happens is, and I don't want to be controversial as such, but very often we see officials make a decision and sometimes on rare occasions they're encouraged to overrule it but all too often other officials side with the official because they don't want him to be seen to have made a bad judgment but I think Trev you might disagree with this and and feel free to hit me over the head with this but I don't think this was a good decision yeah I think listen I'm just looking at the letter of the law if the, the goalkeeper had his hand on it the ball was still um, the players come in, caught him as well. I think Casper knew the rules and I think he, he's used the rules in his favour. So for me, by the letter of the law, he had the ball under control. He had one hand on the ball, even though it was on the grass. And I think the, the referee and, and if they are, did get involved, they had to. But what a game of football this was. I mean, Steven Gerrard at Aston Villa, I think he's been outstanding. I think the players look like they've they've had a rocket shoved up them and there's so much, there's so much desire to want to get results and... I was really impressed with the way that they came back into this game after going 1-0 down. Um, and I just thought, every, to, to a man, everyone looked desperate to win, not just for themselves, but for the badge, for the fans and for the manager. Can I ask you, do you think that football now is moving into an era of fresh ideas, younger men? I mean, we're seeing some of the older guard, Mourinho, his, I, I, I tried to see, see if I could think of someone whose star has fallen so dramatically. Mm. Rafa doesn't appear to have the same edge and, and sparkle that he once had, you know, and yet you're you're seeing obviously those top three managers, they're all younger men. Yeah. Gerard's coming, he's a younger man. Vieira, I know they've lost their last three, but they're playing better, much more fluid, much more organized, and better to watch under Roy Hodgson. Is this a period for the younger men now to take over in terms of Premier League football? Yeah, I think it is. I think it is. I think there's been a I think there's been a changing of the guard for quite a while now with um, managers coming in who are, uh, it seem a lot smarter, understand formation a lot better. Their helpers, listen, a coach is supposed to help. He's not supposed to go in there and fall out of everyone and make everyone feel uncomfortable and, and scared to make a mistake. That's not a coach. So I think managers now that are coming into football clubs, clubs want managers to be the front of their, the front of their company, of their club. They want them to be able to speak to the media. They want them to be able to explain why they're making certain decisions. And I think the managers that you're talking about, you know, Stephen speaks very well. He speaks like a manager already. I think with Frank, Arteta, Vieira, very softly spoken. I can't, listen, he'll have a turn on him if the players do start doing things that he's not asking them to do and he'll demand certain things. But in general, you're going to do that for Patrick Vieira. So I wouldn't have thought he'd have to go to that um, tool of giving them a dressing down too often. So yeah, I think it's a change of the guard. There's a new breed of manager and it's a manager that understands the game and wants to help the players. What did you guys make of the Leicester penalty claims in the second half? Keenan Dewsbury Hall went down. We were watching in the studio while presenting the boot room. Darren Ambrose was convinced that was a penalty. And then right at the end of the game, Tyrone Mings appeared to absolutely clean out Cash Michael. Can Leicester feel a bit hard done by, Darren? Yes. I, I definitely think the first one was a penalty. I watched it in real time. I was amazed. Did did it go to VAR? We, we think it did go to VAR, didn't it? Well, they, they, they always check those decisions. It's just a case of whether it's a formal check or just a, a nod to the referee to say nothing to see here. But yeah, I, I would imagine this, they did take a close look defender, at that one. The, the defender puts his foot on Dewsbury Hall's foot. Uh, 
I, I cannot see how that was not a penalty. And I have to be honest as well, I can't see how Tyrone Mings's elbow in the face of Casper uh, Schmeichel wasn't a penalty either. And this is what I mean. I don't think the officials covered themselves in glory in the game at all. Well, Leicester beaten again. We've spoken about the January transfer window. I think the top target for Brendan Rodgers should be a set-piece coach because they concede so many goals from uh, corners and free kicks. It's almost getting ridiculous now. Uh, Aston Villa actually leapfrogged the Foxes into 10th in the table. Leicester dropping into the bottom half. That was a great game, uh, as Trevor has already articulated. Uh, so too was the game at Ellen Road. It finished Leeds 2, uh, Brentford to a real humdinger up in Yorkshire. Leeds taking an early lead, courtesy of Tyler Roberts. Brentford turned it behind. Uh, Baptiste and Canos uh, putting them in front midway through the second half. Patrick Banford on his return from injury with a 95th minute equaliser. I'd imagine, Trevor, that is the sweetest feeling in the world for a footballer. And he's going to make a massive difference now for Leeds now that he's fit. Absolutely. I think they've missed him immensely. And I think we real, we're now starting to realise what a capable footballer he is. And it's not just about his numbers when he's about putting the ball in the back of the net. His work rate, how clever he is. He brings players into plays, movement, winning fouls. I think his leadership qualities are superb. And he has had an elite upbringing. Let's not forget that. He's a, he's a Chelsea, uh, former Chelsea uh, Academy graduate. Um, he's probably been a bit of a later developer. It took his time to get to the top. But I think now we're starting to see why he is such an important player for Leeds. And, you know, there's only one better thing than scoring a a last-minute equaliser. It's scoring a last-minute winner, which I've scored a couple of them. But he'll be buzzing. He'll be great. He'll be glad to be back in the team. Um, And he'll be glad because there's nothing worse when you're injured and you're seeing your team struggle. You can't contribute. And you're still picking up your wages. You're still there. You're still seeing the pain. So... If he's an honest lad and he comes across as a really articulate young man who who takes his his job seriously and who takes responsibility for his role in that side, he'll be delighted to be able to help his mates. And it wasn't just him making his comeback either. Uh, Luke Ayling also back in the side for Leeds. They did lose Liam Cooper to injury with only 15 minutes played. So a mixed afternoon on that front. No Ivan Tony for Brentford, Darren, ruled out by a bout of COVID. They've got Watford at home on Friday night. So you'd imagine he will miss that one as well. How big a loss is he for them? Huge loss. We know that he doesn't just provide goals. Um, and obviously from penalties, he's terrific. But he's a leader and they are fighting to stay in the Premier League. And they need leaders. Now, you have to say that the run that they're on at the moment, only two wins in their last nine, it would be easy to be uncharitable and say that the wheels have come off. But they will have known, Thomas Frank will have known that there would be a period when it would get difficult after their really, really positive start. And that start has proved a bit of a cushion for them as well. Because it means that even though they're going through difficult runs where they're coming against superior teams who are working them out gradually, they still do have that buffer that gives them a bit of daylight between themselves. I mean, what, they're 12th at the moment. And I I think they will go through periods where they'll lose key players and they've got to find a way to get points once they've done that. They'll be gutted that they couldn't see it out today because, I mean, that goal went in in fifth minute of injury time, I think it was. They'll be absolutely devastated that they couldn't see that out. It would have given them even more breathing space. But they need big players like Tony. And when they don't have them, they've got to be able to find a way to win, keep it tight, keep their heads together, and then they'll be able to get themselves into a position where they can start thinking about another season in the top flight. (laughs) 
away and it's got in. Would you believe it? It's been there to Mendy and West Ham have surely won it late on here. And here now is Wilson, edge of the area and he oh. fires it into the net. Newcastle lead here by a goal to nil. Southampton one, Brighton nil. Armando Broja is the man who's made the breakthrough. Wolves can't believe it. They really cannot believe that this has happened but Liverpool have made that breakthrough. Diva Carigi put it into the back of the net. Ralph Hasenhutl can't believe his eyes. It is Southampton 1, Brighton 1 in the 8th minute of added on time. Neil Mopay. Oh, what a goal that is by Bernardo Silva. Curled into the top corner. Manchester City's 14th consecutive victory over Watford. And wait for it. Fred with his right foot fires one into the top corner. Absolutely superb finish. The Ranjik reign has begun. Spurs 3, Norwich nil. 13 minutes to go. Not Harry Kane this time, but Hunmin Son. Leeds United 2, Brentford 2. It's come in the last second. Patrick Bamford. Comes and got the faintest of touches for the first goal. Now he's got a header to put Aston Villa ahead. They thought they were ahead just before half-time. Now they definitely are. It's Villa 2, Leicester City 1. Yeah, it was a big weekend uh, down at the bottom of the table. Everton in action against Arsenal on Monday night. They are only five points clear of the bottom three. And Newcastle back within touching distance. A massive win for Eddie Howe. Their first of the season at the 15th time of asking Callum Wilson's goal, giving them a 1-0 win against Burnley. It was their first clean sheet of the season as well, which I know will have delighted their new management team. Uh, any complaints about the goal Darren, because Sean Dyche was a bit unhappy that maybe Nick Pope was fouled in the build-up. How did you see it? No, I don't think it was a foul. And, you know, if I don't think that was a foul, then I can't think that the <laughs> uh, goal that Leicester should have had stand was a foul either. Um, but, you know, as far as Newcastle are concerned, I'll say the same thing I said about New uh, Manchester United. The clean sheet was the most important aspect of the performance because it showed that the players are ready to put in a shift. All hands went to the pump and... I think that is going to be such an important platform to build on if they're going to stay in the Premier League. I think they've got their eyes on Watford, who can't keep clean sheets. I think it's 25 or 26 games since they last kept a clean sheet. And Everton above them, who've got horrific injuries. Uh, the morale is poor as well. I think Newcastle have got those two clubs in their sights. And if they can maybe build on this now, and under Eddie Howe, they've got the right man. I saw those scenes at the end of the game, Trevor will probably talk to them better than me. And you can see a team that are together. You can see a team that are unified. You can see how much the points meant to Eddie Howe, the determination in his face, his coaching staff. But you could also see the players as well going to salute the fans. They're in it. They're ready. They're, they've got their sleeves rolled up. And I think this is, gonna, this is by no means, even though statistically the odds are against them, I think they're ready to defy the odds. It's a big month ahead, isn't it? in terms of the, the quality of opposition they will face. But as Darren said, that defensive solidity, newfound as it is, will be important. Uh, Darren's already let the genie out of the bottle, Trevor, in terms of, of Jesse Lingard, heavily linked over the weekend with a potential move to St. James's Park. Talk that they are willing to make him the highest paid player in their history. Same question I asked about Connor Cody, really. Is, is Jesse Lingard the type of character that you want in a relegation scrap? Well, he is because you need, 
I think you, at times, I think like, like this, you need an experienced player who, although Jesse's probably not been in a relegation battle, he understands what it takes in his role to take responsibility, get the ball by the horns, get on the ball and make things happen. We've seen his impact at West Ham. I thought it was absolutely outstanding. And um, I think Newcastle would definitely thrive with a, with a signing like that. Um, I agree with Darren. I think they need to look at their, especially their central defensive area, because they need experience. They need someone who's a, a good man who has a lot of pride in his performances and wants to achieve something at Newcastle. Not just a player with a name who's going to go there, get injured and, and just watch whatever unfold, unfold. So, yeah, I think, Jesse, I think there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of glory going to Newcastle because we know what the fans are like. We know what the city's like. I think if you go there and you keep Newcastle United FC in the Premier League and what's going to come next, I think there's a huge amount of glory to go there being made the, the most um, well-paid player in the club's history, I think Jesse's going to do that anyway because he, he's probably on mega bucks at Manchester United. So that doesn't surprise me, but I do feel he's a player that can affect it. But they have got good forwards. And it was quite telling what Eddie Howe said after the game. You know, I, I he, he seemed like he was happy with his squad. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't imagine that they're going to go in and buy four or five players. They might buy two, maybe three really good players who are going to go straight into the team and who are going to affect results. As good a win as it was for Newcastle, it felt like a significant defeat for Burnley as well. One shot on target, haven't won away from home since May. And Maxwell Corne, their bright hope for the season, hobbling off as well. If he's out for an extended period of time, you really will start to fear for Sean Dyche's team. Uh, let's talk Tottenham 3, Norwich nil. Uh, good win in the end for Tottenham, although they did present a couple of really good chances to Norwich in the early exchanges. They score three goals at home. Harry Kane doesn't get any of them. Fred has actually scored more goals now in the Premier League this season, Darren, than the England captain. Stop it. Stop it. It's a stat. It's a genuine stat. It's one of those misleading stats that that anybody with two eyes can tell you that it means so little. I mean, uh, I, I bet you Harry Kane finishes with four or five times the amount of goals Fred gets by the end the season I, I've got no concerns about that must just say very quickly I know the scoreline looks emphatic for Spurs but Norwich it showed that Norwich needs strikers because they had to, I was at the game they had terrific chances in either half uh, Timo Puki misses a sitter after three minutes uh, Josh Sargent misses a sitter uh, Adam Ida misses a sitter as well in the second half. I mean, Dean Smith needs reinforcements. Tottenham need defenders because their front six state of the art, the back five just in a right state. Honestly, I think as far as the game was concerned, even though Kane didn't score, the fact that other players stepped up to score to kind of just help him through this little difficult patch that he's on, showed that they've got a chance. And it's ridiculous, isn't it? Five defeats in seven Premier League games they went on before uh, Conte's arrival. Now they are fifth with a game in hand on West yeah. Ham. And if they win that game, they are into the top four. This is just a ridiculous Premier League season. I tell you what, if you're confident that uh, Harry Kane will get four or five times more goals this season than Fred... I'm confident the sergeant won't get more Premier League <laughs> oh, goals dear. this season than mm. Fred. And you got to mention it because I got a lot of stick for suggesting in the summer that Norwich hadn't properly invested. They were saying, well, we spent £60 million. I'm sorry, if you spent a lot of that money on sergeant, you've spent £60 million badly. 
And I'm not sure how much revenue Dean Smith will have to rectify those recruitment errors in January. Um, Trevor, in terms of the top four, Darren's mentioned that their game in hand for Spurs sitting yeah. relatively comfortable at the moment. Are they, are they genuine Champions League contenders? I think potentially you have to look at who's in charge, look at the, the whole football club um, as, a, as a brand, as recruitment-wise, you look at the manager, he could recruit top players. Um, is Daniel Levy going to give him um, a war chest in January where he can bring in some quality, especially in that defensive area? Um, I think the fact that they've uh, got the amount of points that they've got, they could supersede West Ham with that game in hand if they win it. Um I think you have to say the serious because like we've, we've all just said, they've got quality in forward areas. And if you spark or you can get the catalyst going with um, Harry Kane and he can start scoring as willingly as he does for the England side, I think they're going to be a dangerous unit and they could start bringing out and, and producing some really good performances against the top sides as well. What about the finish from uh, Lucas Moura? Again, he was nominated in the cult hero category by a lot of Spurs fans <laughs> on the boot room on Sunday night, probably just because of that hat-trick that he scored in the Champions League semi-final. But that was some yeah, strike, Darren. Uh, it was. It was. I mean, it was one of those ones where we're all sitting there reporting on the game. And when when even a journalist is like, Whoa, what a goal that was, you know, the, that that tells you. Because normally the goal goes in, everyone says, who scored it? Who crossed for it? Whatever. You know, you've been in a press room, uh, press box, uh, but this was special because he poked it one way around Billy Gilmore, went the other, went around uh, the other side of him, grabbed the ball, traded passes with Son. He looked to have lost control, then regained control and stuck it in the top corner. A truly outstanding goal. I mean, obviously not as good as maybe an overhead kick from the edge of an area. How many minutes have we, have we gone without mentioning it? Wow. That is, a, that, is a, that is a record, Darren. So congratulations for breaking the record. I remember when Gareth Bell did an overhead oh. kick in the Champions League final. And my kids were going, oh my goodness. And I go, I know someone who's done a better goal than that. And they go, no, you don't. I go, yeah, Trevor, have a look at this. And they go, whoa. Yeah, but you've got to put it into context. Uh, yeah. You said it there. Gareth Bale was a Champions League final. All right. Tre Trevor's was against right, Barnsley Cookie. in the FA Cup. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like you being horrible. You're usually really nice. It well, doesn't suit I'm, you, sir. It's because I'm filling in the Sam Matterface role, aren't I? So I need to be a, a little bit nasty. Um, the one game we haven't mentioned yet from the weekend was uh, down on the South Coast. It finished Southampton 1, uh, Brighton 1. I was there for game day live it was an excellent contest actually Southampton as seems to be the story of their season brilliant in the first half didn't take the opportunities to kill off Brighton and then Neil Mope what a week he's had gets booed by his own fans after drawing a blank against Leeds scores a Trevor Sinclair style overhead kick against West Ham to earn a point and then strikes in the 98th minute to rescue a draw for his team. I spoke to him after the game. He was really happy about silencing his critics. But I know, Darren, you wanted to speak about Ralph Hasenhutl and a pretty scathing attack on his goalkeeper, Alex McCarthy. Uh, basically, the Southampton manager wasn't happy that McCarthy didn't let him know that he was injured and therefore James Ward-Prowse actually sat a bit deeper uh, when the free kick that led to the equaliser uh, came into the penalty area, playing Mopé onside. Match of the day did a pretty good review of this with Danny Murphy and basically made it clear that McCarthy for about the last 16, 17 minutes wasn't taking goal kicks. So surely Hasenhutl should have realised he was injured 
and taken decisive action if he wished to do so. And I do think if it finished 1-0, maybe the narrative would have been very different and Ralph Hasenhutl may well have actually praised McCarthy for heroically battling on. Yeah, I wonder if uh, maybe Ralph might have woken up this morning and regretted what he'd said. Because from what I understand, it's normally around about an hour or so. You've Again, we've both covered games on the South Coast at St. Mary's uh, Crook, so you know this. It's normally an hour or so before... The managers come in, but he was straight into the press conference afterwards, maybe just feeling the emotion of losing the points. Trevor can speak better to, to, to you know, how your blood is up sometimes after the final whistle or result hasn't gone your way. You've lost and you're lashing out. And I just think maybe in he, when, he, when he calms down, he might think to himself, I've made a bit of a mistake there because our job as football reporters is to say what we can see. You commentate, I write. In a game, if you saw that the goalkeeper was struggling and that someone had to take his goal kicks for him, you would tell your listeners, I don't understand why the manager isn't making a change here. Yeah, no, Darren, you're right. Um, I think he'll be disappointed. I agree. He'll be, he'll be, I feel he'll be embarrassed by what he said and how he's, he's kind of left uh, McCarthy under the bus, bus there because any manager worth his salt, if you've, if, if you've got a decent number two, you take McCarthy off. And although they got away with it until the last minute with other players, which again, the starting position of the opposition, if you've got a, a defender in there taking it, they can be a lot more advanced. The offside line's been changed. The game's a lot bigger. So if you don't win that second ball on the first kick, you're very open to counter-attacking and you're very... Uh, spread out and it's easier to create chances but I think that the, 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 the most important thing is Ward Prowse going onto the line that's that's an invitation for all of all the forwards to say you're never going to be offside mm. so as soon as this ball goes in cheat it's almost like cheating because mm. the offside line is not it's been moved to the to the to, to the byline and I think that they that they deserved it you know by not changing the goalkeeper I feel that was that was the defining moment of that game and it stopped them getting over the line. And actually, I thought Brighton were, were really struggling in the defensive line and, and Southampton should have scored so many goals. Uh, but Brighton's uh, back three of Duffy and Byrne and Veltman, I thought they were really poor and easy to get at. The, the Southampton are in, a, in a relegation fight. The last thing you need in a relegation fight is to alienate your goalkeeper. And maybe other players in the dressing room who might be allies of him as well. Sorry, Crook, you go ahead. No, no, you're absolutely right. I was just going to say, when you talk about changing the goalkeeper, it was unfortunate timing because Fraser Forster, the deputy, actually picked up an injury in training towards the back end of the week. So he wasn't on the bench and won't be back for some time either. Harry Lewis was their backup option, a, a rookie when it comes to the Premier League. And I know Southampton have spent the weekend scouring for a, a potential free agent. I know they've been in contact with 40-year-old Willie Caballero, uh, the former Man City and Chelsea goalkeeper. So it's going to be interesting to see who does keep goal against Arsenal at the weekend. But injuries taking centre stage because Lewis Dunk was absent for Brighton. His mm. knee problem is being assessed. That will be an issue uh, for Brighton, particularly with Adam Webster also sidelined if he's out for any period of time. It's... No wins now in 10 for Brighton. Eight draws, Trevor, in those 10 games. How do they start turning one point into three? Well, I think if the, if the injuries that they've got, um, to especially Lewis Dunk, because I think he's a fantastic defender, um, I think they need to go into the transfer market because the back three of Byrne, Duffy and Beltman weren't good enough. They look slow. They look sluggish. I mean, the Southampton forwards were enjoying themselves 
If they, they could finish, they would have been out of sight by the end of the first half. So they need to look at that defensive line. They need to shore that up, whether that means changing the system, maybe bringing a, a couple of players in front of that back three and, and changing the whole system just to protect them for now. I don't know, but they look so vulnerable um, on the attacks from, from Southampton. So they need to change it about. And they've got good forwards. That's why they're digging out results. They've got good forwards. Mopai, I think he's a fabulous player. You know, he's, he, he lives on the edge, but he is a maverick. And he, he reminds me a little bit of Di Canio, how he, he can go around and, and get goals and he can affect the game. They've got also they've got other good forwards. They definitely need to, to strengthen up that back line. And if, it, if they do that, they'll start turning some of them draws into wins and they'll be way up the table. Well, it's fitting that we've ended the uh, podcast by talking about veterans at, at Mavericks. We're with Trevor Sinclair and, and Darren Lewis, who probably fit into both of those categories. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks very much uh, for joining us tonight. Darren will be back on Thursday as we look ahead to another busy Premier League weekend. I'm sure we'll see Trevor very soon as well. This has been the Game Day Podcast from TalkSport. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com. 18 plus. Be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Britain feels broken, but how do we fix it? Westminster just doesn't seem to have the answers, but we have found some people who do. Join me, journalist Becca Hudson. And me, the former MP Ed Vasey, for How I'd Fix. From the price of a pint to the housing crisis, this is the show where we take an alternative look at the problems plaguing the nation. And hear practical solutions from those in the know. Catch new episodes of How I'd Fix wherever you get your podcasts. Rebuilding Britain starts here.